You are listening to a Victory Alabang podcast. Have you ever wondered why life sometimes seems unfair? Find out what having unshakable faith is all about from the story of Job in this audio message by Pastor Ariel Marquez. This first week of December, we are taking a serious break and we we sought God on what to preach on and somehow we've all agreed that uh, we can actually address on the situation right now that we're going through as a nation. Maybe some of you also are going through some storms or tough times. And we're going to be talking about uh, one particular character in the Old Testament that has gone through a lot. And, um, you know, as the typhoon Yolanda has just, you know, wreaked havoc in uh, many of the provinces uh, in, uh, in the Visayas region. Can you imagine a ship right in the middle of land? Uh, I mean, that's, a, that's one strong typhoon that hit the Philippines. And, and how many of you know that the Filipinos somehow have been made by God to be a resilient people? You know, there were, there's an average of about maybe 15 to 20 storms that come in uh, every year in our, in our nation. And somehow, uh, you can get used to the storms. And, you know... I don't want us to just get used to storms. I want us to soar high over the storms. Because God is the one who stills the storms. Amen. And God is the one who calls us to respond properly whether, uh, whenever we go through storms in life. And there might be some questions. And, you know, maybe we can ask, Lord, why did all this thing happen? You know, in this particular situation, in this particular time. And season in our in, in our nation, we're we're actually gaining momentum, and now another setback uh, came in, and so we see a lot of dead bodies everywhere. About I think more than five thousand now have been reported uh, dead because of the the storm uh, Yolanda or international name Haiyan, and uh, you know this I think I think this is a makeshift airport. You see the the Philippine Airlines logo there. They just drew that from. Uh, from a pencil pen, a marker, okay? And so, you know, that's how creative Filipinos are, okay? Uh, even though we've gone through a lot, we can still put up a smile, amen. Can you just go and smile the person beside you and tell that person, glad to see you here, and greet that person, Merry Christmas? How many of you know that despite the storm, Christmas is still coming, amen? That Christmas is something that we can actually celebrate not once a year, but every day of our life because Jesus came to give us a new life. And so today we're going to be talking about when pain and faith collide. When pain and faith collide. How many of you know that sometimes our faith can be tested? How many of you here would be honest enough and say that your faith have actually been tested in the past, whether in the area of finances, whether in the area of health, whether in the area of family, how many of you can, can raise your hand and, and just admit that? That many times our faith can be tested. And, you know, I, I, uh, one of the books that came out, I think uh, it was the author uh, Henry Blackaby who said that the term here is uh, the crisis of faith, wherein your actual belief does not necessarily uh, reconcile with what you're experiencing uh, right now. Let's say, for example, how many of you know that believe that God is a God who heals, that He is Jehovah Rapha, He is our healer. But yet, how many of you still get sick? Now, how can we reconcile that? And then sometimes, you know, when, when, we, when what we are teaching and what we're studying in the Bible, and I, I believe that there is such a thing as faith, there is such a thing as the miracles of God, there is such a thing as the sovereignty of God. And I do believe in miracles. I do believe in healing. How many of you believe in healing? Yeah. And yet there are times that God allows these situations to happen. How many of you believe that God is the God who provides, that He is Jehovah Jireh? Yeah. We're so familiar with that particular name, Jehovah Jireh, the one who provides. And yet there are seasons in our life that we are in lack. Right? And so... I want us to study right now one particular text in the Old Testament. And this character is very well known to, to many of us. In fact, probably you can relate well with this guy. Okay? And his name is Job. I'd like to invite everyone to stand up 
uh, with me as we go and look at the scripture this morning. We're going to be reading from Job chapter 1. Uh, we're going to be reading about a few verses in Job chapter 1, 1 to 3, and I think uh, verses uh, 8 to 12. Job chapter 1, 1 to 3. You can just follow along as I read from the NIV version. All right. In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. Now, this is not the inventor of Apple, by the way. Okay? This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. Now, how many of you know that Job was rich? Okay? With this kind of assets or cattle uh, in that particular time, that's considered like maybe a multi-millionaire. Okay? Uh, he was the greatest man among all the people of the East. In verse 8, let's jump a few verses. Then the Lord said to Satan, you know, there was a time when uh, the Lord was meeting the angel and Satan happened to drop by the presence of the Lord. Okay? And you can read that in the first chapter of Job. And uh, the Lord asked Satan, so where are you, what are you up to? Consider my servant Job. And so he was bragging about this guy. The Lord suddenly, out of nowhere, talked about his servant Job. And so that's going to be picked up in verse 8. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and what? And shuns evil. Verse 9, does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied, have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. And in, in this particular text, we can see that there is a spiritual reality of God putting a hedge of protection around the believers. Amen. That God protects you and, and I in the area, in whatever. Whether our family, your business, your health. There's a hedge of protection that God has placed over us. And somehow Satan was addressing that. The reason why this guy was, is faithful to you is because you've always blessed him. Why don't you remove the blessing? See what's in his heart. So that's what, the, what Satan was, was, saying to, was saying to God. Okay? Uh, but stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to the face. Verse 12, of course. The Lord has so much faith in Job. The Lord said to Satan, Very well, then everything he has is in your hands. How many of you would like to uh, be qualified <laughs> to be a candidate? of uh, uprightness and righteousness before the eyes of God. Everything he has is in your hands, but on the man himself, do not lay a finger. Still, God has put a hedge of protection around Job. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, thank you so much for today. Father, we ask that you would illuminate this uh, this word that we're about to study. Thank you, Lord God, that you will give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation to know you better, to know the God that we serve, that you are a sovereign God, and that you also have confidence and faith in your people, God. And Lord, even today, I pray, God, that your spirit of encouragement and may your spirit of might and hope come upon us, that whenever we go through times of trials and testings, that it is not the end of the road for us, but there is always a turnaround, God, and a better future for each and every one of us. We thank you, Lord God, for this time. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody say, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Now, how many of you have actually read the book of Job for your devotion? How many of you do that? 
<laughs> no, I mean, uh, in the past. I mean, if you've done that, you've, you've read through the book of Job. Can you please raise your hand? So you're familiar with Job, right? You're familiar that Job was a righteous man. And we're also familiar that Job went through a lot of things. Now, let's dig deeper who this character is. Now, who is Job? And, and, and the, the only thing that we know about Job is, you know, he lost everything. And that somehow at the end of his life, he gained everything back and even twice the amount that he lost. But somehow we can ask, Lord, why? Why does this thing have to happen to this guy? Or in other words, why do you allow these things to happen in our nation? Or why do you allow these things to happen in my personal life? Why do, do you allow tests or trials or challenges to come into my life? Let's make it personal. Why do you allow things to happen in my life? Is it because you want to punish me? Is it because you want to judge me or you want to judge us as a people? Is it because we've done something wrong? Is it because we are in sin? Let's study deeper who this character is. Now, the Bible says in verse 1 that Job was blameless. Everybody say blameless. Now, what do you mean by blameless? We basically put up the uh, definition there already. Not moral perfection. We're not saying that Job was sinless. How many of you know there's only one person who's sinless and his, his name is Jesus? Okay? Nobody else who lived this world is sinless. Look at the person beside you. And tell that person, even you, you committed a crime okay, before the Lord. Okay? Every one of us, okay, I'm using the word crime because whatever sin it is, that is a transgression of the law. Once you break the law, that is a crime before <clears throat> the heavenly lost. So every sinner is a criminal before the Lord. Okay? Now Job is in the same way like us. He was a sinner, but yet in the eyes of God, he was blameless. <clears throat> and even in the eyes of men, he was blameless. Because when you talk about being blameless, it's not about moral perfection, but about moral wholeness. It means that you are consistent with your life inside your home and outside your home. It means that you, are in, you, you have integrity. You know, integrity comes from the root word integer, which means one or whole. There's wholeness, Right? There's no duplicity. What you say, what you see is what you get. Okay, and so uh, to be blameless is to live our lives before others so that they cannot accuse us of sin. Okay, that's what being blameless is all about. You know, when people look at you, will they find fault in you? Or when they, for example, if, if they want to do business with you, will they trust you? The fact that people trust you, the fact that people will do business with you, is also tantamount to saying, oh, this guy is blameless. This guy can be trusted. This guy is trustworthy. Look at the person beside you and just observe lang. Is that person blameless? Trustworthy ba yan? Okay, especially if uh, you're married to that person, okay? <laughs> I hope that, uh, you know, you can say that, yeah, you are a trustworthy person. Another description of Job uh, was that he was upright. Moral integrity beyond question. Next, he fears God. There's so much reverence before the Lord. And next is, he shuns evil. He's very wealthy. You've seen that. You know, they've basically run down his uh, statement of assets and liabilities. Okay, how many cattle, how many ox, and how many donkeys. I don't know if there's a Shrek there somewhere. Okay, now... Uh, <clears throat> He's a very wealthy man. But somehow you see that he's not controlled by his wealth. And you'll see that later on. He's also a family man. Okay? He's got how many sons? Seven sons and three daughters and only one wife. Now let's talk about the wife later on. Okay? <clears throat> now he's considered a family man because one of the descriptions in chapter 1 of uh, how Job leads his family is, you know, the, the children, especially the, 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 the sons, normally hold parties. 
And they love to celebrate. They would all normally invite their sisters to come and have parties uh, you know, together as a family. And so Job was always concerned that, you know, would, did they do things that are right when they celebrated their party? And so every party that they have, what he would do is he would offer a sacrifice before the Lord just in case they did something stupid. I mean, that's how much he loves his children. Okay? He wants to cover them, okay? even if they're of age already. Now, one particular thing about this book of Job is we need to understand. Maybe some of you are asking the question, now, why did Satan dare God to touch Job? I'm not sure if you observed that in the, in the text that we've read. So basically, Satan was the one, and the reason why he's worshiping you, and the reason why he's serving you is because you're blessing him. Remove the blessing, and let's see if he will still worship you. But let me sub- submit to you the truth that we can find in the scripture, that it was not Satan who initiated the fight. It was God who picks a fight with Satan. Remember the, the, uh, when, uh, when he actually said, you know, where have you been? And then he asked Satan, consider, have you considered my servant Job? Who asked, who asked for that? God did. You know, it's kind of like the Lord saying, talo ka sa lolo ko. Parang ganun, no? Kinahala mo ba to? Do you know this, do you know this young boy? You know, I'm proud of this young boy. Or maybe if, you know, if you're a boxer, maybe if you're a manager of a boxer, like for example, Manny Pacquiao, you know, you know Manny can beat any, anybody or something like that. And so, you know, you're somebody who would want to, you know, uh, match or pair him with somebody that he can actually fight and defeat. And so, basically, God was saying that to Satan, you know, you don't know this guy. Have you seen how this guy worships me? Have you seen how this guy lives his life? Basically, there was like a divine wager of sorts. Okay? I don't know if that is an accurate term. Okay? I don't want to use divine bet. That somehow God and Satan talked about Job. You know, of course, this may not seem right to our ears, but you know, how many of you know that God is sovereign? And He did not act on His whim just so that lang tayo. He did not do that. I mean, if you know who God is, how many of you know that God's nature is love? His very essence is relationship. His very essence is He's not a dictatorial ruler. He's not somebody who will torture somebody. You know, I don't like your face. Let me torture you right now. You know, can you imagine if we serve a God like that? Let me just send all hell loose over this guy and, uh, you know, just punish him till he gives up. No, God's not like that. But the reason why God was just so enamored by this uh, person named Job is because of his uprightness. That's why he said, wow, who among the people on this planet is like Job? And so he's challenging, saying, can you find another guy who's as loyal as this guy? Have you considered my servant Job? Can you imagine if it's, you know, in 2013 and God is looking around this room, have you considered my servant, R.D.? <laughs> Have you considered my servant, Saul? Have you considered my servant, Yang? Can you imagine if God talks to Satan like that and we're the topic of the discussion? Have you considered my, my servant, Alex? Or have you considered my servant, uh, Mon? Or if, can you imagine... Of course, on the one hand, we're going to be glad because it's like a pat on the back. It's like, it's like a word of affirmation that God, wow, God loves me. And God is pleased with me. And God looks at my life. And God somehow, wow, God you know, somehow has favored me because He sees me as somebody who's loyal to Him. In fact, the next statement says, There is no one on earth like Him. Can you imagine? He was the top-notch believer at that time. Now, this is Job's story. 
okay? I have three points that I want to share this morning. First point is Job's ruins. Now that God basically said, okay, since you asked for it, you got it. Not Toyota, okay? You ask for it, let's go and test. And how many of you know that God normally gives us a test that we can handle? Because God will never allow you to go through a test that you can never handle. Think about that for a moment. I mean, look across this room and, you know, we have, we have gone through different testings in life. Some have gone through maybe a loss of a loved one or maybe a loss of a job or maybe you lost your puppy or you lost something or whatever, okay? You lost your, your favorite, uh, you know, your, your engagement ring or you lost something. Maybe you've lost a business or you've lost a home or maybe you, you, uh, you know, you're sick. And, you know, and God allows some of these things to happen in our life because He knows that the only test that He gives us is something that we can handle. How many of you will agree with me on that? So when I look at Job, I said, God, ibang level yan. Parang hindi ako yan. I won't volunteer. Here are my Lord. Choose Him. Parang ganun, ano? So, round one, Satan touches Job's stuff. And we see that. This is what happened in chapter one, when God allowed Satan to go and touch the things that Job owned, just to prove that Job was not loyal to his stuff, but he is loyal to me. This is what happened. Are you ready? We're going to read this. Job 1, uh, chapter 1, verse 13, okay? One day, when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby, and the Sabaeans attacked and carried them off. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. Okay? Now, verse 16, while he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The fire of God fell from the sky and burned up the sheep and the servants, and I am the only one who escaped to tell you. Verse 17, while he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The the Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and carried them off. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. And while he was sleeping, I sleeping, while he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, your sons and your daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the older brother's house when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them and they are dead and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. Imagine a day like that. How many of you normally want to listen to good news? Now, this is the ultimate bad news. This is not one, two, three punch. This is one, two, three, four punch. I mean, it's almost like Murphy's Law. Anything that can go wrong will go wrong. Parang ganon. He lost everything just like that. In a day, only one escaped just to be able to tell him the bad news. You know, sometimes we play that game, right? How many of you want to hear the good news and the bad news? But this thing, or this particular day, it was all bad news. The messenger that came delivered the bad news. We're going to look at Job's response later on. Did he question God? Did he curse God? Did he rebel against God? Did he say to the Lord, Lord! I'm serving you. I'm attending Victory Alabang every Sunday. I'm giving my tithes and offerings. I'm the biggest who give here. You know, I built this uh, uh, particular building and I'm helping the fort and I've planted all the churches in the provinces. And here you are. You took everything from me. Did he do that? 
That was round one. Chapter two. Round two. Satan touches Job's health. And in chapter 2, verse 3, Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? God was still bragging about Job. He's still not done with Job. I mean, if I were Job, I would say, God, Tamana, enough. Nothing left. There's no one on earth like him. He is blameless. He basically said the same thing in chapter 1. An upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil, and he still maintains his integrity, though you incited me against him to ruin him without any reason. Verse 4, skin for skin. Satan replied, a man will give all he has for his own life. But stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he will surely curse you to your face. Verse 6, the Lord said to Satan, Very well then, he is in your hands, but you must spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the top of his head. In other versions, it says boils. Have you ever had a boil? In Tagalog, pigsat. <laughs> it's pigsat. I had one when I was young, right here. And this was the mark of a pigsat. I was in pain. Excruciating pain. Unimaginable pain. And my dad told me, let's take it out. And he said, I'm going to take a bottle and I'm going to pop it in. That's the traditional way of taking out the midsection of the boil. But now the modern way, of course, if you take, is to take you know, uh, antibiotics. But that's just one. Imagine Job from the sole of his feet to the top of his head. Now, how, how does he walk? How does he sit down? How does, what does he do? How does he lie down? It was so painful. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. Oh. There's no anesthesia yet during that time. Talk about pain. In the midst of his suffering, he did not curse God. thing about Job is he suffered not because of what he did wrong, but because of what he did right. He was not being punished by God because of some sin that he committed. He was not being punished or being judged by God because of maybe a vow that he made that he did not fulfill. But basically because he was upright. He was righteous. He was blameless. He was holy. Now, how many righteous people do we have in this place? Can you please raise your hand? Raise your hand. Come on, how many righteous people, righteous by the blood, not because of what you've done, but because of the blood of Jesus? Can you please raise your hand? You are all qualified. <laughs> Any volunteers? I mean, talk about loyalty, talk about faithfulness, talk about, Lord, here I am, I'm serving you, here I am, I want to I be the, I want to honor God, we want to honor God, we want to make disciples. And this is what we get? At least show, show some support here, God. But you know what, God has been supporting us all the way. Why would God permit all these things to happen anyway? Have you ever asked that question? Lord, why? 
Why did this thing happen to us as a nation, as a family, individually? Why did this happen to my business? Why did this happen to my family? Why did this happen to my, to my, pers- to my health? Why, 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 why? And we may have a lot of questions. And God may not be obliged to answer those questions. Because God does not promise to answer all our questions, but He promised to be with us in every situation. Amen. He said, I'm going to be with you till the very end of the age. His name is Emmanuel, God with us. And we may actually go through life with all these questions. In fact, I have some questions myself. But God is God. In His sovereignty and in His love for us. He has a bigger picture than what we actually see here on this planet. But His promise is, I will be with you to the very end of the age. Job suffered because of righteousness. Now, of course, there are also other reasons why people suffer, okay? like personal sin. Okay? This is not a, uh, an extensive list. Okay? Other, peop- uh, other person's sin okay? may be done to you. Maybe you've been abused. Maybe, uh, you know, whether, you know, uh, molested in the past. Okay? Uh, a fatal decision or a mistake you've done. The reason why you're suffering right now or maybe an unavoidable disaster. Okay, we're not going to go through that list. You know, remember, maybe, maybe some of you know our story in our family. You know, I, we had a son named Jerome and this, uh, this uh, was his picture when he was about, I think, six or seven years old. And um, last Sunday, we celebrated his supposedly 18th birthday, if he was alive today. We lost him 10 years ago to a disease called TB meningitis. And um, he, he basically was a believer. He, he, he basically gave his heart to the Lord at a young age of uh, six. And he, he loves the Lord. And you know, every time my, my wife would homeschool uh, Bea and Jerome, uh, he'd always talk about God and always talk about heaven. There's such a fascination of heaven uh, for, for Jerome. And he said, you know what, Mom? I want to die and go to heaven. And, uh, and Shirley corrected Jerome, you're not going to die and go to heaven. You're going to grow old. Okay, he said, okay, I'm going to grow old with you and then die and then go to heaven. Okay, fair enough. And when, you know, when he would write some composition... You know, on his own, he would say, you know, when I am alone, I am with God. There's just a consciousness of God in this boy's mind about who God is. He's, he's got a personal relationship uh, with the Lord. He's a very athletic boy. He plays tennis. He played baseball when he was young until October of 2003. He had a fever. And uh, we brought him to the hospital. They don't know what was wrong with him. He, uh, he underwent several tests of, uh, you know, just for whatever fever or sickness there is. He, he was negative for dengue, negative for typhoid. They, they said, there's nothing wrong with him. And so they sent us back home because, uh, you, know, there, you know, maybe he's just experiencing this fever because of some infection. And so we continued giving him uh, the medicine until, one part, I think after about more than a week, half of his body became paralyzed, just like that. And we brought him back to the hospital, and they finally, at this point, they tested the, uh, the spinal uh, column, and they took out some fluid there, and uh, they had to culture it for about a few days, and they found out that he was indeed infected, not in the blood, but in the brain, with tuberculosis meningitis. What was supposed to be in the lungs suddenly found itself in the brain. And so it was a very aggressive bacteria. He uh, underwent two head uh, uh, operation. They had to put a shunt uh, so that because what happens is because of the bacteria, the passages of his brain was uh, shut off. So the fluid remains there. And so he was hydrocephalus and it caused so much pain uh, in his head. And so they had to flush that out, thus requiring two operations. And there was a growth on top of his uh, heart, and they suspected that to be cancer. 
but later on, they found out that that was like the thyroid, thyroid gland that was reacting to the bacteria. That's why it was swelling as big as, the, as, big as his heart. And so it was, you know, he, we celebrated his birthday there November 24, 2003. And, uh, you know, he actually had to go through the surgery. The first surgery was his, uh, his head surgery. And at this point, he could not speak anymore. Somehow, there's no words that he can, utter, uh, he can actually utter. And what, uh, what we were hoping is that his speech would be back. And we're praying. You know, we're, we're grateful that the church stood with us. They continued to visit us. You know, there were some people who organized a 40-day prayer chain for us. And he said, we're going to just fast and pray and believe God uh, that a miracle will happen. And so, you know, of course... We believe in miracles. We've laid hands on the sick before. We've seen them recover. We've laid hands on even uh, bigger sickness than than this one, and we've seen them healed. And so uh, after the first operation, when we were waiting for him in the ICU recovering, you know, as I was, uh, you know, just reading, he suddenly woke up, and for the first time after, like, how many weeks, he uttered some words. And this is what he said, Dad, I want chicken McNuggets. Of all the words that he will utter. He was hungry. And I said, I'll give you not just McNuggets, I'll give you Jollibee, Chicken Joy, KFC, whatever you want. Okay, Just continue to speak. But that, those were the last words again that he spoke. And he never spoke after that. And, uh, you know, it was a downward uh, trend for, for my son. It was so tough for the family, and we were asking the Lord, Lord, what's this? You know, we're not ready for this. I was imagining at that point, we're going to bring our son home. We're going to raise him up. Even if he's paralyzed, we're going to take care of him. We were not expecting him to die. But, and at, the, at that particular time, we were building this church, the first uh, facility, uh, in 2003, December uh, when we opened this facility in December of 2015, uh, sorry, December 15, 2003, two weeks later, my son died in Asian Hospital. And uh, it was really one of the biggest, uh, toughest time in our family. This was the darkest Christmas that we've ever celebrated as a family. And, uh, you know, this is, uh, yeah, this is Christmas Day. And uh, that was uh, like, you know, uh, leading to the new year, we buried him January 2 of 2004. And it's unimaginable for a parent to bury his own child. Normally, it's the child who buries his parents in their old age. That's the normal, uh, you know, the normal uh, way of life. But in this particular case, it was us who buried him. It was a tough, it was a tough, uh, experience for us. And it actually gave us some questions also. Uh, uh, you know, Lord, why? Why did you allow this thing to happen? You know, I remember after burying my son uh, for two months, we've never stepped foot in Asian hospital again. And we said, we're not going to go back to that hospital. It's just so traumatic for us. And yet we received one phone call one day, one uh, morning at 4 a.m. This phone call basically was so frantic at the, other, at the end of the line. And he said, Pastor, we're on our way to Asian Hospital. Can you meet us there? We're going to the ER. My daughter is not responding. Please help us and pray with us. And I hung up the phone. My wife, Shirley, was awakened by the call. And she asked me who that was. And I told her who he was. And she said, I want to go with you to Asian Hospital. I want to conquer my fear. Both of us went there for the first time again after burying my son. And we stepped foot again on the emergency room. All the pictures, the flashback uh, just went to us. Uh, just imagining what happened again to, to my son. And then we found this uh, girl who was unconscious at that time. The doctors were there. They were trying to revive her. She was not responding to the medicine. And you know what we did? We just prayed a simple prayer. There's no binding nor loosing. There was no casting out of demons. There was no, come out! There's no like that. It was just a simple prayer. We said, Lord, thank you because you are a God of healing and you 
are a God of miracles. And even right now, we speak life to this girl and we pray God that she'll be conscious in the name of Jesus. Amen. It was as simple as that. Ten minutes later, the girl was up already. And she was totally healed. The doctors were baffled. And you know what my question was? Lord, why? Why, when I was asking on behalf of another family, you answered my prayer, but on behalf of my own family? It was tough. We go through life with so many tests. And I believe that the grace of God is able to sustain us. Amen. And God is just waiting for the right response from us. And what was Job's response when he lost everything? In round one, he lost not just his business, but he lost all his children. Ten of them. Seven sons. I lost one. And it's painful. And he lost all ten at that moment. And I don't know how many families were affected by the Yolanda Typhoon. Some families, you know, some father may be still looking for his children right now. Tests. But how do we respond? Verse 20, at this, Job got up and tore his robe, shaved his head. This is a sign of humility before the Lord. It's a sign of brokenness. When you tear your robe before the Lord, it's a, it's a sign of brokenness before the Lord. Then he fell to the ground in worship. Of all the responses that he will make, he responded not in complaint. He responded not in uh, hatred or bitterness against the Lord, but he, he responded how? He responded in worship. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. He had a, an eternal perspective of who he was before the Lord. That when he came here on earth as a young baby, he had nothing. And when he comes out from this earth, he will also take with him nothing. Now it's a biblical and an eternal perspective coming from Job. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. In round two, in chapter 2, verse 8, then, you know, after he was sick with boils all around his body, then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it and sat among the ashes. His wife, have you ever wondered what the wife said to Job? His wife said to him, Are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. How many of you would like to marry somebody like that? I guess the wife was also bitter before the Lord. She was not ready to lose her children. She was not ready to see her husband suffer. She was probably thinking, they are gone, my husband is suffering, I am next. He replied, you are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In all this, Job did not sin in what he said. Question, how do you respond when calamity hits you? Are you like the wife of Job? Curse God and die. <laughs> take me now, Lord. Take me, take me, take me. Kill me, kill me. Or do you respond in worship? Do you respond in praise? Do we respond in praying to the Lord? Do we respond in pressing on in our faith and not letting go? Do we respond in proclaiming that the Lord is good? His love endures forever. How do we respond when calamity or crisis hit us? Job 19, verse 25 to 26, in the midst of his suffering, this is what he said, I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end He will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, this is the eternal perspective, yet in my flesh, I will see God. What a guy. There's no one like him. 
I agree with the Lord. I can't imagine going through what he's gone through and still be able to stand and say, yes! But yet he did it. In James chapter 1, Bible says, Consider it pure joy. Everybody say joy. joy. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because what? You, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be what? Mature and complete. Not lacking in anything. Ultimately, God wants us to be mature in our faith. God is preparing for Himself a people who's ready to receive his, their next assignment. Basically, when you go through testing, you know, remember when you were in high school or when you were in elementary, we don't want to take the tests, right? And what do we pray for? We pray for storms. <laughs> right? Remember that? We pray, Lord, signal number two naman para walang pasok. Right? Remember that? Why is that? Because we don't want to take the test. But guess what? You don't have a choice. You have to take the test. If not, you're not going to go through grade three. Grade three. You're not going to go through grade four. You're not going to go through grade five. You're not going to be in high school. You're not gonna, if, you don't, if you don't pass the test, you're not going to go in advance. Guess what? In our life, when you go through tests, God is actually preparing you for advancement. God is preparing you to... Actually, God is preparing to, out, to outpour or to pour out more of His blessings in our life. The question is, are we ready to maintain and handle the blessing of God? And many times, the purging and the preparing is through tests. David, before Goliath, had to face the lion and the bear. Joseph, before he became Pharaoh, he had to go through Potiphar's house, had to face Potiphar's wife. Hi, Joseph. Okay. And, uh, you know, he had to go to prison before he became second in command. Third, and I'm about to close, Job's restoration. We started off with Job's saga or story with his ruins. We studied his responses. But how was he restored by God? We go to the last chapter of the book of Job. In Job chapter 42, verse uh, 10 to 13, it says, After Job had prayed for his friends, because remember, Job had three friends, remember that? And the friends were condemning friends. The friends were judging friends. And the friends were saying, The reason why you're going through this, Job, is because there's a sin in your life. Go and confess. Let us know. Confess. Confess. And Job would say, What There's nothing. I am nothing anymore. Why will I confess? I am a righteous guy. I'm a, I'm a blameless guy. And God had to correct these three guys. And God told Job, pray for them so that they will be blessed as well. The Lord made him prosperous again, gave him twice as much as he had before. Wow, can you imagine the number of donkeys? From 500 to 1,000 donkeys. That's a lot of donkeys. Okay? The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the first. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 donkeys. And he also had seven sons and three daughters. It's not Okay? Remains the same. Praise the Lord. Can you imagine if he had 20 children? And he also had seven sons and three daughters. After this, Job lived 140 years. He saw his children and their children to the fourth generation. How many of you know that that is a full life? Amen. Amen. And so he died old and full of years. You know, I believe that we can never test the Lord. When God allows us to go through challenges and tests, guess what? I believe that God is just preparing to pour out something special for us. Yeah. Amen. James chapter 5, verse 11. As you know, we consider blessed, or we consider blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. 
The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Look at the person beside you and tell that person, go and persevere. Persevere. Just wait it out. Just hang in there. Never let go. Just hang on. Main point I want to share as I come to a close. When crisis takes its toll, know that God is still in control. Amen. Amen. How many of you know that God is definitely in charge of our life? Amen. Can we just give the Lord praise this morning? Our 8.28, Romans 8.28, this is my final verse, and then I'm going to close. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, those who are called according to His purpose. And I believe that all of us have been called by God because of a purpose. You're a believer today because of a purpose of God. You've been called by God to do a specific task. And the test that you're going through right now may be different from another person. Maybe some of you are going through financial tests. Maybe because God's preparing you for something big in that particular area of your life. Maybe you're going through a physical test. Maybe so that you can testify about the goodness of God so that when you get healed, you can also go and minister to others in that area. Maybe some of you are going through some marital tests, some marriage tests. Maybe you're not in good terms with your husband or your wife. Guess what? Just hang in there. And you're going to weather through this storm because this too will pass. And how many of you know that storms are temporary? They're not here to stay and they're just going to pass forward. And I believe that God's going to use that situation so that He can mold us and build our character before the Lord. We hope you were inspired by that message. Make learning and growing in your faith a lifestyle. Join a Victory Group today. Simply sign up at the Concierge or in our website at www.victoryalabang.org. Thank you and stay connected.